0: And I hope that by now you're starting to see a pattern develop that the Lord's Prayer is sort of like a string of pearls where each theme that we've been talking about uh, builds upon each other and it actually interweaves with each other. We talked about week one uh, that when we approach God uh, in prayer, we approach Him from this personal, intimate place uh, because of a relationship that we have with Him. And out of that relationship, that worship and reverence follows and then when we get our minds in this sort of frame in this headspace we all of a sudden pray for god's work to be done in our life right for him to have his will in our life because we know that his ways are are the best ways and so we're able to join him in that kingdom work, and we know that it's not about us. What God's doing is not necessarily about us, but he uses us to be part of his story. And so today, uh, we are about the midway point, about the halfway point of the Lord's Prayer. And today, we get to actually ask God for some personal requests. I know what you're thinking. It's about time we get to ask something for ourselves, right? I, I totally get it. And so today we're going to be talking about um, God meeting our own needs and coming to him with these requests uh, for, for what we need in our life. And we're going to see today that God not only cares about meeting our needs, but that he is willing and that he is able to meet some of our greatest needs. And, you know, that's, a, that's important for us to know. As, as his children, as followers of Christ, because when our needs are not met, we get filled with anxiety. We get filled with fear and doubt. If you're anything like me, when my needs are not met, or I have there's a risk that my needs are not going to be met, I get uncomfortable, and I get anxious. And when I think about a time in history where the fear of not having our needs met took its toll. I think about the bombing raids that happened right after World War II. You see what happened was is that when, when Germany was bombing all over London and all over Europe, so many lives were lost. And so as a result of that, there were so many orphaned children, thousands of children who've lost their moms, who lost their dads, who lost everything that they ever knew they lost their security. They lost their ability to find food. And so what happened to, so, to sort of combat this problem is that the government sent in relief workers to take in the children into orphanages and care for them and provide them with food and a warm bed to sleep in and love. And, you know, actually, they actually received very good care. But you could imagine that a child who has gone through this extreme trauma, losing their parents, losing everything that they ever knew, their sense of security, that they would still be filled with anxiety and doubts and fears. And so what was happening is that even though they were cared for, they were having difficult time sleeping at night. It was as if they, they couldn't find a sense of security. And so they were wondering if their needs were going to be met. And so because of that, they were filled with so much anxiety, so much fear, that they couldn't sleep at night. And the relief workers tried everything. They tried giving them security blankets. They tried giving them stuffed animals. They tried singing songs to them while they slept. But nothing seemed to work. Nothing seemed to work. And so we're going to look at a passage today that is going to address those same fears and concerns and doubts that maybe we have that we take with us in our own everyday lives. And we're going to find and discover from that that Jesus is going to address them head on. And he wants to give us the assurance that our greatest needs, our our physical needs, our spiritual needs, and our emotional needs are going to be cared for. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 again. We're in the sixth chapter of Matthew, and we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and we have the Lord's Prayer with us as we've been going through. And so we get to this point in the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be reading from verse 11 and verse 12 today. So we read in verse 11 and 12, and the verses are up on the screen, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So we see in today's verses, 11 and 12, we actually see two petitions, two requests. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts. And what I want us to discover today are three truths that come out of the text that if you follow along with me, are going to give us the assurance that we are looking for to calm our greatest anxieties and fears. And so the three truths that we're going to look at today is, one, God assures our provision. God assures our provision. The second is that God secures our salvation. And the third is that God restores our condition. God restores our condition. So let's look at the first one together. God assures our provision. So we see the first verse of verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Now you might be wondering, what's with all the bread up here? I'm just trying to make you guys hungry. <laughs> and you can help yourself afterwards if you like. It's from a really good bakery by my house. Um, but bread, bread I, throughout scriptures but even in our culture has been synonymous with provision. We think in our culture we think of money, bread. We think of someone as being a bread winner, right? Well in the Bible and Jewish times when, Jew, when Jesus was speaking these words, bread was also a symbol of provision. It, bread was a staple in the Jewish diet. Now I know some of you, and Sid just mentioned to me that he's on this intermittent fasting diet that, you know, carbs are bad, right? Bread is bad. We avoid it at all costs, right? But bread has always been synonymous with provision and it's been a staple in the Jewish diet. And so when we talk about bread and we look at it in light of scripture, we always look at it in light of provision, providing for our physical needs. Uh, as well as our spiritual needs. We know that Jesus, later on, talked about him being the bread of life. And so bread symbolizes provision. So we have to ask ourselves, when, when Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he was sharing this verse with them, what could possibly be going on in their minds? What could possibly be going on in the, Jewish, uh, in the, in the minds of the Jewish people that were listening to him? And it's always, if you know your Old Testament, uh, you may have remembered Exodus 16. Where else did God provide daily bread for the Jews? And so if you know Exodus 16, you'll know that uh, when the Israelites were escaping Egypt and they spent 40 years in the wilderness, th- what happened was is they started to grumble and complain. Because they had no food. They didn't have the kind of food that they were used to back in Egypt. And so they were grumbling and they were complaining. And they were complaining to Moses. And God heard their cries. God heard their complaints. And what did he do? He rained down a bread-like wafer called manna. And so he provided for them physically in that moment. And so we see in this moment that... Although they were grumbling and they were complaining, God came through. God provided for what they needed most, and he gave them bread. But the story continues. Moses instructed them to only go out and collect enough manna for that particular day and no more. For that particular day and no more. And although Moses instructed them to do that, some of them still went out and collected more than they needed and saved it for the next day. And what happened was is when they woke up in the morning, the manna that they had collected, the extra manna, was covered in maggots. It was rotted away. And so what this teaches us is that we need to come to God with a a certain level of childlike trust Trusting him that he will provide for us and he will do it on a daily basis. Give us today our daily bread. And yet, this childlike trust that the Israelites obviously didn't have, the, the Israelites gathered that extra manna because they had fear. They had fear that they wouldn't have enough. They had fear that. Maybe they didn't quite trust that God's ability to provide, or maybe His willingness to provide as well. And so that does teach us something, is that when we come to God in prayer, we need to believe that He is not only able, but that He is willing. And you know, I don't think we're really that much different from the Israelites. I don't know about you, but during the COve, the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. It was very difficult to try to find toilet paper and paper towels. I searched everywhere. I went to BJ's, I went to Target, I went to my supermarket, and every single time I went there, the shelves were bare. They looked like that, actually worse than that. I never found that roll of toilet paper. I never found that roll of paper towels. And so, even at the supermarket, they were limiting us to one package of meat per order. So I couldn't stock up on chicken or beef. I could only get one package. And so, so in this moment, in this time, I became so uncomfortable. It just made me so anxious. It made me so fearful, you know, that I, you know, being a BJ's guy, I like to stock up. I like to, I like to, you know, fill my shelves. And so what I, what I learned through this is that I put more of my trust in my overabundance than I did in God's provision. That's why going on a BJ's run is so satisfying, because, because you feel a sense of security, right? You, f- you sense a sense of security when you see those shelves in your—when you go back home and you stock up your shelves and you— I I put everything in nice little rows, and all the labels are facing outward, and it's like I got my own little supermarket at home. But I was putting my trust in my overabundance instead of relying on God's provision to provide for me daily. And so some of you today might be struggling with this. You know, do you believe that God cares to meet? your daily needs do you do you doubt his ability to or maybe not maybe you doubt his willingness to do we have confidence that god will come through for us some of you are maybe thinking today you know waiting for something waiting for god to provide something in your life and it hasn't come through yet like the israelites we need to come with childlike dependence and you know what I learned through that whole COVID-19 experience was that, you know, I never got that roll of paper towels like I wanted to. We ended up using just reusable towels that I washed every night to clean up after dinner. But you know what I learned is that I thrived. We survived. You know, not having that roll of paper towels, you know, wasn't the end of me. And so it just it 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 it, it taught me just to have a greater dependence upon God for who he is, and realizing that he will meet all of our needs. God assures our provision. He assures our provision. But the second thing that we see in this verse, verse 12, is that God not only assures our provision, taking care of our physical daily needs, but he also cares to take care of our greatest spiritual needs. And so in verse 12, we see another truth coming out, that God secures our salvation. He secures our salvation. Look with me here in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts. Now, I told you a couple weeks ago that I'm a fan of linguistics. I love words, and I love the meaning and the origin of words, and so on. And I also told you that I w- grew up Catholic. So when I first learned this prayer— I learned this as, forgive me of my trespasses. And we get a little, little further into Luke, and he says, forgive me of my sins. And so here we see Jesus using debts. So I like the NIV translation of this, which he uses the word debts here, um, because the original Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, uh, the word that he used when translated in the Greek was something which is either legally or justly owed what you and I would think of as a debt. And so debt seems to be closest to what we talk about, and we see all throughout Scripture that Jesus uses this parable of debts to describe sin and to describe uh, the forgiveness of sin when we talk about debts being forgiven or debts being canceled. But there's a popular question or a frequent question that a lot of people ask when they come to this point in the lord's prayer you know and i believe that what god you know the fact that he brought this up right after praying for our daily needs is that there's a connection here and like i said it's like a string of pearls that we are also to ask for forgiveness on a daily basis that when we ask god to forgive us of our debts we're asking it on a daily basis and so the question the popular question that comes up about this verse is if I've already trusted Jesus, and I've already asked Jesus for forgiveness, and I've put my faith and my trust in him, and I believe that he died for me on the cross, and he's forgiven me of my sin, why do I have to pray again on a daily basis for God to forgive me of my sin? It's a fair question. It's a fair question. Is, is Jesus' death on the cross and his eternal sacrifice for my salvation not enough? Did it not cover my past, present, and future sin? Of course it did. Of course it did. But what I believe about this first is that we have to understand something about sin. And we have to understand something a little bit about our salvation. Is that our salvation kind of comes in about three different stages. Right? And so the three different stages one would be called positional salvation, one would be called, um, you would say, positional salvation, one would be called progressive salvation, and the third would be our ultimate salvation. So, what does that mean? What, is, what do I mean by that? Well, positional is the fact that, yes, you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. You have put your trust in his sacrificial death on the cross as full payment of your debt. We talk about debt as something that is to be owed. We owe God because of our sin. And so Jesus came and he, he accomplished that. He took that, that punishment onto himself and he erased our debt once and for all. And we know that it is not by works that any of us are saved, but it is completely by grace. We read that in Ephesians. And so positionally we stand before Jesus justified just if I'd never sinned. So positionally we are secure. Now, what I mean by prog- what I mean by progressive salvation is that just because we've come to Jesus and he's erased our sin, past, present, and future. We live in a world which is still unredeemed. And although, and and maybe it's just me, but I did become a Christian and I still sin. I still sin. There's sin in the world. So my aim is to sin less. I'm not sinless, but my aim is to sin less. And I think all of you would probably agree on that, that we want to sin less than we do. And the, so that's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's the sanctification process in our life is that God is working in us through the Holy Spirit to make us more like his son, to to make us more into his image. And by doing that, he, you know... W- he tries to work this sin and these patterns of sin out in our life. And so it's, there's a progression to our sin. But there's also ultimate salvation, which is the day we're all looking forward to. And that's the day when, you know, the, everything will be restored, and order will be restored, and we will be taken away, taken out of this world of sin. It will be a glorious day. And so that's what I mean by these sort of these three stages of salvation and this question that comes up. And and so what we see here is that when we come to Jesus, when we come to the Lord in the Lord's Prayer, and we ask God to forgive us of our sins, it's so that we can continually be washed and renewed and restored in our relationship with God because ultimately sin is what separates our relationship with God. But yet, still, some people struggle with this. Some people still struggle with, you know, I'm 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 having trouble with sin, and I, I don't know what to do, and I fear, you know, uh, that my salvation is going to be taken from me. And so God wants to wants to assure us that we are secure in our salvation. And I think of a story by Watchman Nee, uh, where a recent, you know, I don't know if you know Watchman Nee, but he's a Chinese evangelist, and he told a story of a convert, a recent convert of Jesus Christ who came to him, and he said, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I keep sinning, and I don't know what to do, and I pray, and I pray, and I pray, and I, I just can't stop, and I'm afraid I'm, I've lost my salvation. And he says, let me tell you a story. He's like, I have a dog. He's like, my dog is the best dog. He does everything I tell him to do. He sits when he's supposed to sit. He runs when he's supposed to run he is a pure delight to me he's like but i also have a son and he's a baby and he's over there in the kitchen and he's a mess and he throws his food and his clothes are a mess and he stomps his feet and he cries and he whines but he said this who do you think when i die is going to inherit my kingdom not my dog my son Because my son is my heir. And friends, we are Jesus Christ's heir. He didn't die for the dog. He died for us. And so as God's heir, as Jesus' heir, we get to inherit the kingdom of God. And so Jesus secures our salvation. By By asking God to forgive us daily, of our sins, we keep short accounts with God. That's really what it's all about. We don't let anything hinder our relationship with him because we realize from week one that it's all about intimacy with God. And and we're told in scripture not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So to maintain this right relationship with God, we need to continually, like David, ask the Lord, is there anything that I've done? Seek me and know me. See if there's any offensive way in me. Is there anything that I've done? Is there anything that I didn't do? that I should be doing. And what we have hope in is that he who began a good work in us is faithful to bring it to completion. Right? And it says in scripture that he is faithful and just and is willing to forgive us of our sin and all of our unrighteousness. So when we come to God in prayer and we ask him to forgive us our debts, we come with this posture knowing that our salvation is secure. Now, the third way that we, that we see, the third truth that I see embedded in this verse is that not only does God forgive us, taking away our sin, cleansing us, but that he restores us. He restores us. When the Lord forgives us and we receive that forgiveness, there comes a responsibility with that. Look what it says in the second half of verse 12. And forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. As we have forgiven. Past tense. Past tense. This verse shows us that when God forgives us of our sins, he assumes that we are going to in turn forgive others for their sins. When they've hurt us, when they've done us wrong, when they've offended us and wounded us. In some way. And that's not an easy thing to hear. It's not. And it wasn't an easy thing to hear for the Jews either at the time who were listening. Again, when we read scripture, we have to ask ourselves the question what could they possibly, what could the hearers of the words have possibly thought of when they heard Jesus speak these words? Now, for the Jews, and we don't get this much in our society, because in our society, to some degree, We've m- getting out of debt is, is a little bit easier. We have certain laws in place to help provide relief and bankruptcy laws to help provide relief so that we're not overcome by our debt. But for the Jews, they understood it very severely. That forgiving someone of their debt, being in debt, came with punishment, imprisonment. And so to forgive somebody of their debt was a huge ask. And so, so much so that what we see in Scripture, again, going back, to, uh, going back to Leviticus 25, is that only once, every 50 years, were debts forgiven, where land which had been mortgaged was returned back to their rightful owners, and where slaves who worked that land were free. Only every 50 years. That was called the year of the jubilee, the year of the jubilee. And so for the Jews who's hearing these words, as you have forgiven their debtors, this was a very hard thing to hear. And they knew it wasn't a common occurrence. But the reason for the year of the Jubilee was that it restored the economy. It restored the conditions of the community. And so when I think of someone who was restored in the same way, God wants to use forgiveness in our life, to restore our condition, to restore us from the hurts and the wound and the pain that these people and, and, and the things that come into our life that hurt us and, and break us down. And so, but there's power in forgiveness. And so when I think of somebody who was, was restored emotionally because of the power of forgiveness, I think about a documentary that aired, by a woman named Ipigenia. Ipigenia came out of the Rwandan genocide of 1994. I don't know if you're familiar with this story, but in 1994, her husband and her five children were all clubbed to death by a neighboring tribe. And so everything that she knew was taken from her, shattered, everything that she loved. She was all alone. And... Through this process, she had to go through. The neighboring tribe, the Hutu tribe, uh, was, was apprehended, and they were tried. And in a tribal court, she had to face the man that murdered her family. And in the tribal court, the man who murdered her family, all he wanted was Ipigenia and the rest of the community to forgive him. And it a shock to everybody in the court that day. She opened up her heart. And she forgave him. But the story doesn't end just there. She was a master basket weaver. That's how she earned her living. And what she did is she came alongside the wife of the man who killed her husband and killed her children. And she taught her how to weave baskets so that she would have a skill that she could earn her living while her husband was in jail. The two became friends and business partners. And when the documentary aired, the newscaster asked her, how? How did you find it in your heart to be able to forgive? And she said simply, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. She understood that by being a Christian is synonymous with forgiveness. Why? Because God was so generous with her, forgiving her of her sins how could she not be as generous and forgive the sins of the man who killed her family? And, and, and then as further investigation, further inquiry into what happened while uh, these seven years passed that this man was in prison, that they found that these women in Rwanda, they all went through Bible workshops and they were ministered to. And another woman who had lost her baby in the massacre said, we just, we just found it easy to forgive. Our hearts became free, and we found it easy to forgive. And so God, in this, in this story, we understand that when God generously bestows his forgiveness upon us, we freely can forgive someone else. And it's not easy. It wasn't easy for Epigenia. It wasn't easy at all. In fact, I believe the only, thing that, the only reason why she could have done that was because she had the Holy Spirit in her to help her to be able to get to that point, to be able to forgive that man and his family. And friends, the good news is that we also have the Holy Spirit in us, working through us, just like Iphigenia. And he wants to restore you. He wants to give you back the years that have been taken from you. He wants to restore your broken heart and restore your condition if you let him. And he uses forgiveness as a way, as a pathway to lead to that healing and wholeness. So who who are you not extending forgiveness to? Who has hurt you? Where do you feel enslaved by maybe bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, you know, it's been said that unforgiveness, holding unforgiveness is like, is like swallowing poison but expecting your enemy to die. It does way more harm to you than it does the other person. And so what we see here in this verse that God is asking us or assuming that we are going to forgive as we've been forgiven. He understands that that forgiveness is what helps us to be released from that prison just like in the year of the jubilee the f- slaves were released from their imprisonment to restore their economy god wants to re- he wants you to release those and that's what forgiveness is all about forgiveness is not about forgetting forgiveness is not about forgetting forgiveness is not necessarily about reconciliation forgiveness is not about letting them off the hook Forgiveness is about releasing the other person from the obligation to make it up to you. In the same way that Jesus released you from your obligation to make it up to him. Forgiveness is the pathway to healing, and God uses it to restore our condition. So we see here in the Lord's Prayer in these three verses that God wants to assure us of his provision. He wants us to have this confidence that there's this guarantee that he is going to provide, but that he also secures our salvation so that when we come to him and we ask him to cleanse us of our sin, we know eternally we are secure, but that we're working out our salvation and the sanctification process, and we're You know, we're not struggling to be free, but we're free to struggle. And thirdly, we find that God seeks to restore our hurting condition, our pain and our wounds and the things that this life leaves us with. What was interesting about that story from World War II about those orphans was that after trying everything to help these children sleep through the night, one of the relief workers had a brilliant idea. One of the relief workers gave the children, each child, a small loaf of bread to hold while they slept. And you know what they found? They were able to sleep through the night. It was as almost as if this piece of bread gave them assurance. That i ate today and i'll eat again tomorrow it was the only thing that calmed their anxieties their worries their fears and so what if we what if we went to sleep every night knowing that jesus is holding on to us that he's guaranteeing our provision that our needs will be met that that he's that our, that our salvation is secure in him and that our emotional needs, just as much as our physical needs, matter to him. And he wants to restore us and make us whole again. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And they're going to lead us through a favorite hymn of mine, Blessed Assurance. And what I love about this song is that It just speaks of this assurance that we have in Jesus, that because of his sacrifice, because of the work that he's done on the cross for us, in in paying our debts, that we can be assured of our salvation. And what we see from not only this song, but also from this passage, is that the Lord is able and willing and desiring to meet all of our greatest needs. God bless.